RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Wednesday morning, time for our Legal Hub, our regular feature on a Wednesday here at Reality Check Radio, and the the whole team is back. Nick Kearney joins me, and so does Katie Ashby-Coppins. Hi, you two. Hello. Good morning. Okay. I'm still having trouble staying on my chair after last week's Legal Hub, i got to say. It sort of kind of blew me away, and I'm not the only one. Anyone? Well, you were there, Nick. You remember. Anyone want to make any comment about that? Well, uh, no, I listened obviously afterwards and uh, on the replay and I was pretty shocked. Um, I knew things were bad, but I hadn't appreciated quite how bad uh, they were and also how, you know, quite frankly, despicable uh, the behaviour was of public servants uh, and the like, uh, essentially doing their master's bidding. So incredible to know that there's other lawyers out there doing things uh, and, and that we're not alone. So Fabulous Legal Hub last week and the week before with Kirsten. Uh, oh, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, WHO pandemic treaties. Nick? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been following Tudor um, on, you know, on his writings on LinkedIn for 18 months, two years okay, or something. So, so kind yeah, of nothing but, new for you? No, not really. Um, I've been reading what he'd been putting up on LinkedIn uh, and, you know, following some of his um, – Escapades, so that's the way to put it. And yeah, I just thought it was great because obviously a lot of a lot of uh, our listeners uh, may not be, you know, connected including to me. Him. Yeah, right. May not be connected to him on LinkedIn, and you know, and there's too much other stuff going on in in the courts and the media to follow. You know, what his cases have been all about and and what have you. So, no, no, I think it was just good to spread the word and the feedback from the um, the, the listeners last week was phenomenal. And so that was, uh, yeah, it was a. Um, Service a good service to the community last what week. What a ride! I think. Yeah, what a exactly. Ride is the, uh, yeah. yeah, what a ride! Yeah. yeah, what a ride! And, and uh, look, you wouldn't look. I, I've, yeah. um, like I say, Tudor's uh, into some people's minds slightly controversial and the way he goes about things, but um, he is the epitome of a dog to a bone. Uh, and you, you saw last week, uh, he was he had no notes in front of him. Paul, yeah, uh, yeah. he could recount uh, dates, emails, content of that, whatever date, who sent it, what happened. He's across the detail of these cases like you would not believe. Uh, and that's a sign of a very good lawyer. Well, you wouldn't want, if you're the police, you wouldn't want him coming at you, but that's another story we'll get to before um, this uh, episode of Legal Hub is over. Um, why don't we start with the people's letter, which I read out when we started this morning. So if people were listening, they would have, they'll know what I'm talking about, but let's talk about the people's letter. Katie? Well, uh, there has been a recent campaign launched. Uh, It's called The People's Letter. You can find it at www.thepeoplesletter.co.nz. That's www.thepeoplesletter.co.nz. And look, it's, I uh, guess, the people standing up and doing something while we're in this no man's land of a caretaker government. We don't have a, a coalition agreement formed yet, so we don't have a, a new government um, sworn in. And we've got this very bizarre situation where uh, the uh, caretaker cabinet, which is the uh, former government, uh, we've now got an entirely new government, uh, saying, or staying tight-lipped, saying, oh, well, we don't need to do anything about rejecting these upcoming amendments from the WHO. 
uh, on the international health regulations, which reduce the timeframes by half. We don't need to do anything. Silence is acceptance of those, so we'll just let them pass through. And it's a good question as to whether or not the new government uh, even know about uh, these changes or whether... Well, or no, I, I, I asked Winston directly about them. Oh, you did? Right here, and I said, do you realise, you know, that there's a deadline? And he, he didn't give... He kind of fired off a politician's answer, but it, it, it told me that he was aware of it. So, so well, they should know. Hopefully that forms part of the coalition government's uh, agreement, which they're no doubt still busily working on uh, at the moment. But that doesn't stop the fact that we've got a situation that by the 1st of December, if these uh, amendments are not rejected, uh, then we will have our time to consider future amendments halved. Uh, It's a week away. Okay. It it is a week away. And hence the people's letter, you know, absent a government, the people are standing up and saying, uh, let's reject these supposedly minor changes while the new government gets into uh, its seat and gets itself sorted. Look, if it wants to reject the the reject the time um, or agree to the shorter time frames in the future, you know, surely they can. But this whole predicament, considering the Labour government's been sitting on this for the last 18 months, these amendments, uh, and only released their cabinet paper three days after, I think, the election, uh, that these changes are minor and not to do anything. It just it just smells a bit rotten. Yeah, 18 months. Okay. And they knew this was coming. They knew when the election was, and they knew that there could likely be, uh, whatever the odds were in their thinking at the time, turned out that the odds were that there would be a change of government and we'd be in this sort of black hole of nothing when it comes to this. Yeah, absolutely. No man's land. And they still sat sat on it. Mm. Yes. Mm. Mm. And the problem is tacit acceptance, like acceptance by silence, which, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, silence is acceptance is a, is a, a, a legal construct which is, you know, a tough one to, you know, have rights and obligations arise upon silent acceptance. Yeah, well, it's even worse, and um, I think it's even worse when it involves um, you know, governments, cross-border governments, and and organisations such as the World Health Organization. You know, I mean, um, you can you, know, you can build into legal contracts the fact that if you say nothing, you're deemed to have accepted it after three days or whatever. That's that's one thing, but when you've got a situation like this, where uh, state actors have a duty, responsibility, or whatever, to you know respond to um, the changes that affect the the freedom of their people and all that sort of stuff, then it, it's outrageous that that, 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 that the, who should say if you say nothing, you're deemed to have agreed. Hmm. Uh, and, and in fact, it's even more outrageous that. Uh, Actually, you know, uh, our representatives on the WHO, of one of which I think is Mr. Bloomfield, actually might not have been there then, actually, I've got to say, because if this was put in in May 2022, um, he may still have been here. But, uh, you know, we've always had a representative on the World Health Organization, I think, haven't we? So uh, before, I'm not sure who it was before him, but, um, you know, our representative there should never have allowed really this to, um, to have been put in place, that silence, saying nothing, doing nothing is acceptance, because now we've got a situation where, the outgoing government is saying, well, hey, uh, we can't do anything because we've kind of been voted out. 
uh, and the incumbent government saying, well, we're not really even a government yet, and the Governor-General's got to swear us in, and that might it might still be a week away, so we, we're not a government, we can't do anything about it. Meanwhile, 1 December comes around, and we've done nothing. And Can the Governor-General do anything? I mean, the Governor-General fired Gough Whitlam in Australia. I mean, what power do they have? They've got to be on, on the lookout for the well-being of New Zealand citizens, surely, if, if no one else is. Well, you I, have to wonder. Yeah, the, well, I was just going to say, that's not really the role of the Governor-General, uh, to, to be honest. Um, okay. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, so look, actually, look, and that's that's the whole purpose of the people's letter. We don't need the Governor-General. You know, the people don't need uh, – the people are in control here, and the more people that sign this letter and get it issued and sent off to um, to the WHO and saying, well, we, you know, we, I think that's a fantastic, um, a fantastic idea, concept. Yes. Well, look, it's going to be delivered, I think, by hand next Monday. I think there is a uh, an option to share. I don't think that there is. I know that there is an option to share. Uh, that web link that I've just given uh, you before, www.thepeoplesletter.co.nz, there's some fabulous memes. Uh, get everyone to have a look at the letter uh, and encourage everyone to sign it. I think there's a tally of... 9,000 people that have already signed it in less than 24 hours of it going live. So that's, you know, uh, fantastic. It's, you know, showing that people are, are interested, care and concerned. And look, all it's doing is buying a, a little bit of time. Uh, it's, a you know, maintaining the status quo still gives us 18 months to consider uh, future amendments and 24 months uh, to implement them as opposed to shorter timeframes of 10 months to consider and reject or 12 months to implement, uh, which is going to be pretty ginormous when you consider the further amendments and treaties that are coming. The government at the time sitting on it for so long, that stops it from circulating in the media as well. And that prevents average citizens knowing, because that's the problem you find, no, hardly anyone in the street has a clue about this because yeah, it's no, not had no. any light sh- apart from what we do and a few others shine on it at all. Look, I suspect that the WHO commu- uh, pandemic treaty negotiations are an embargo topic uh, for most of our uh, mainstream media. Right. Uh, I don't see anyone talking about it, but you know, when you do talk about it with people, they're like, well, if it's that bad, I should have known about it. Well, yes, if our media was doing our job, you should know about it. But, uh, you know, it's not getting the airtime that it rightly deserves. And uh, certain other people who have been talking in the last few days are saying that uh, nothing to see there. <laughs> so yeah. you've got that as well. <laughs> Look, and it's really interesting. I, um, I I would love the opportunity to speak to anyone about it, having done a deep dive into uh, the two different pandemic treaties, the effects, what articles, what the articles will do, including the binding nature of them, the vaccine passports. Uh, I, I'd, I'd really, really relish the opportunity to have a good head-to-head with anybody about uh, what's proposed uh, in the drafts, uh, which are due for circulation, I think, middle of January. Right. Okay, well, something might happen in the week. Oh, look, it could do. It could do. But in the meantime, sign up, uh, I encourage everyone to share and sign those letters because it is um, a, yeah, a fabulous opportunity for us to empower ourselves and uh, to be able to stand up. Okay, and let's um, sort of stay in the same zone or, or, or similar zone. What's all this about? What, what a conference of the parties. I see COP is next. I think that's what it stands for. And this is linked to 
um, big picture of this. So should we move on to the pandemic treaty? Yes. And the COP provision. Ooh. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. So uh, I think I was in our intro before we caught up and started uh, the show. I was talking about um, something I'd been carping on about for quite some time about one of the pandemic treaties that's coming in from the WHO. So we received two new versions of it uh, in October. Yep. And that's now the third version that we've received over the last year. And it's very much getting the old watering down. Uh, they're removing the uh, rather um, agitating comments about the reason for this document is to um, uh, head off, oh, sorry, to respond to the catastrophic failure of the international community. Is catastrophic the- gone? Oh, catastrophic's not there to no, no nothing to see here anymore. Right. Um, the purpose of the document is no longer there. It's also had a rephrasing. Uh, oh. It's a, a much softer landing point now. It's uh, a proposal for negotiating text of the WHO pandemic agreement. So it's an agreement to agree. Oh. Uh, and look, we've seen this. That's before. like an announcement about an, an announcement. Same sort of uh, yeah, category of yeah. heads of agreement or, you know, we're going to agree on this, but we're probably not going to put too many rules about it at the moment. Uh, yeah. We're going to have a soft landing. Um, oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that it sounds good and that everyone wants to sign up to it. All right. Well, last week, as we mentioned at the start, um, lawyer Tudor Clee was on the program <laughs> with some startling stuff. And he's in the news again this week, Nick. Yeah, he's so he's now taking uh, taken up the case of two protesters who were, um, let's say, uh, assaulted by police upon their arrest at the Parliament in Wellington um, at, at, at that protest that we all know about. And these were the two that were, you know, well uh, publicised in some of the TV and other video footage, dragged out of the crowd with a, a police officer, um, you know, um, holding the head down of one of those um, boys, but his hands quite forcibly on the neck um, with the full body weight of the officer um, applying force while the, while the boy's head, and, and he is a boy, the boy is 17 years old. Uh, while the boy's head was, you know, on the ground uh, and kneeling on uh, the uh, body of a, a female uh, a lady by the name of uh, Casson, Laura Casson, uh, she was dragged out of the crowd, uh, kind of semi-naked, and she kind of made a bit of a rod for her own back because she, um, you know, intentionally decided to lather her body in coconut oil to avoid being, uh, you know, uh, I guess you, you can't get much of a grip. I guess the police can't can't really get much of a grip on you if you've got slippery coconut oil lathered all over you. So, you know, it's good on her for doing that, I suppose. But they dragged her out uh, and... Um, because by the she was, hair. Yeah, that's right, by the hair. Uh, and because she was um, semi-naked, they put a blanket over her. And then the police officer, the same police officer, actually, um, the same... And, and he's said to be a high-ranking police officer, and I think uh, as we get into this, we'll find he was second in charge 
of that operation uh, wow. at the Parliament oh, buildings. Okay. Yep. Yeah, at the Parliament buildings in that protest. So he was the same person who put the head, the hands, I should say, on the head of the 17-year-old. Uh, and then he's dragged, uh, or may not have dragged Paula, uh, Paula Casson out by the hair. Someone else may have done that, but he was responsible for, um, once she was covered in a blanket, uh, kneeling uh, on her back, uh, now, the this went to uh, that resulted in uh, a, the criminal trial of of Paula Casson, um, which was heard in the uh, the Wellington Court uh, some months ago, which was actually dismissed, and it was dismissed because the officer in charge of the case, who would have been or was uh, the arresting officer of um, Paula Casson, said to the judge that. Uh, you know, Tudor, Tudor made numerous requests for that second uh, in charge uh, officer to be present as a witness so he could be cross-examined, the one who did the kneeling on her. Uh, and the arresting officer um, blithely said uh, to the judge something along the lines of, and I've got it here written down, if you just give me a second, uh, oh, I, I couldn't get hold of him. Um, I, I'm not. He's not good at checking his emails. I told him when the date was or something, and uh, he just obviously just missed it and hasn't turned up. Now, um, how lame does that sound? Well, what's tra what's transpired is that these two were actually uh, apparently best mates as well. There's the the officer in charge of the case and the uh, high-ranking senior officer. So, um, you know, they were they were apparently well known to each other, good friends. But uh, neither knew, or the or the, se the, the senior officer uh, uh, actually never knew that this was going ahead on the day. So anyway, the judge didn't believe that, threw the case out, and actually awarded uh, six thousand dollars in legal costs to Laura Casson as a result. And it's look, and I've got to say, it's not easy. I've had a couple of um, cases myself under the Costs in Criminal Cases Act uh, procedure, and not easy to get costs out of the police. So for her to be awarded six thousand dollars. Um, uh, the, the judges obviously uh, found that there was egregious mistakes here by the police uh, in, in, in this criminal uh, trial that he threw out. So, following that, uh, following that, Tudor has now filed two uh, two civil proceedings against this officer um, for for assault, battery, and whatever else excessive force against both the seventeen year old uh, boy and um, and and Laura Casson. So that's that's what he's now up to. Um, and interestingly, some of the um, there was evidence given in some of these criminal trials before they were um, kicked out, and some of the medical experts uh, said that the force used was uh, very. Well, I'm just trying to find the words here. Um, uh, a forensic doctor who gave police advice, so rather it wasn't evident in the criminal trial, but gave them advice during a criminal investigation into the officer's actions, said she believed the restraint used against Laura Casson while she was on the ground could have caused her, inverted commas, quote, serious harm, close quote, close inverted commas. And that was a forensic doctor who uh, was advising and giving you know, um, advice to the police, actually. And so, yeah, that's what Tudor's done. So he's now filed civil proceedings, and um, you know, um, let's see where these get to. Uh, the police have a have a history of uh, defending these to to the hilt, and uh, you know, it may get settled out of court with a confidentiality. I don't know, but um, yeah, let, let's see what happens.
can't be settled out of court, can it? I mean, it's in the public interest. You've got, uh, it looks like the same person, second in command, that violent towards women and young boys, threatening well, look, them it, with injury, it, it, allegedly. Yeah, a, a settlement out of court is, is, is entirely dependent on what the, the, the plaintiffs or the clients want. Okay. And, I, and I, I get the impression that this Laura Casson is not going to uh, be too amenable to uh, a, a confidential settlement out of court. I wouldn't have thought, yeah. but who knows? So she's the, also the got six k. <laughs> she's was, also got six k yeah. to put it's not towards much. her. She's won more than that. No, no, she's already got six k from her criminal case to put towards the costs of her civil case, perhaps. Sure. Um, out of interest, Nick, was that uh, costs award uh, in the criminal case against the police officers uh, themselves or against the police? Uh, Office as an organize, sorry, place as an organization such that then uh, us uh, lowly taxpayers get to uh, foot the bill. Yep, the latter, I'm afraid. Oh, really? Mm hmm. Yeah. Goodness gracious. So the costs award, unusual in a, a criminal case, awarded against the police, paid for by uh, the, crown, the taxpayer. Yeah, the Crown, essentially. Yeah. I'm glad we can be of service. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, oh, look, I don't mind. I don't mind giving her six thousand dollars. No, no. I have no that, problems with that at all. Paying for their, <laughs> yeah, thing. True. Yeah. But you're paying yes. for their failures. Correct. I mean, yes. Costs yeah. in a costs in a yeah. criminal case are really, really, really unusual. They're very, they're very rare. Calls into question the quality of high-ranking officers in the police, doesn't it? Well, look, I remember, I remember our very first show, actually, um, and God, it was a good one. But um, <laughs> we we discussed the IPCC report on that That's first right. show uh, yeah. into the police conduct, and they were showing, and you know, we described it then that the uh, IPCC report basically said the police were just lost at sea uh, in respect of that. Um, uh, that protest had no idea of the size of it, didn't really plan for it. Um, and when it turned up, they were kind of on the back foot immediately. And um, and, and it showed that they spent the whole time trying to um, organise how to, you know, uh, they were completely on the back foot, m underestimated it. Um, you know, the intelligence wasn't good in respect of how big it was going to be um, from both ends of the country, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, and it, it kind of when all that uh, top level organisation is deficient, then it feeds down into the um, the behaviour of uh, kind of the mid level stuff, which is kind of what we saw here. Mm. Oh dear. Okay. Take them to the cleaners. Is what I'm thinking. Um, and I hope oh, they can live with their conscience too, being that violent in that public. Going back to that first program, did we talk about? The um, police complaints, people looking into individuals involved in those particular incidents. I can't remember how specific it was. It's going back quite a way. There were 17 um, specific complaints that were not dealt with in the general police response section, and they were each given their own individual report, uh, which I think these two were a subject of, but I haven't seen those. So the investigators, if they're doing their job properly, if they looked into it, would have known then that that was the same person. Yes, correct. And yeah, yeah, second yeah. in command, and they don't mention that. No, they remember they 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 cut out seventeen particular examples that they were going to report on separately. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is that yet to happen? Yes. 
I don't How know. How long does it take? <laughs> well, they might be the subject of 17 individual complaints or they might be the subject okay. of a separate report and in respect of those 17 um, piece, uh, actions, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But they, they were carved out of the, you know, 186 or whatever there was. You'd think that one would be a priority. Yeah, I'm just actually looking to see if those reports have come through. I haven't seen them um, or mm. been privy to any of them, not to say that they haven't been delivered. You wouldn't want delivered. to chew to Klee on your tail, would you? Well, as we heard last week, um, you know, what was that government department said? How can we stop this guy taking us to court? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, well, it's like, perhaps it's like not, having a spitfire ranging behind the, you perhaps, a dogfight. Yeah, but perhaps not breaking the law. That might be a good um, a good way to start, stop being sued. Or applying it. Yeah, applying it. Correct, yeah. Anything more to say about that? No, that's just uh, watch the space uh, for now. Mm. And, uh, and, and of course, have... yeah. We're, look, we're going to follow it. You know, as we've, um, as I just said, we, you know, the first show we did uh, on on Legal Hub covered the initial IPCC report. Now we're into the uh, into the weeds of some of these cases, and you can you know, rest assured that we'll we'll follow it all the way through. And um, I've offered to shoot it a you know, spot to come back and finish the story because I think I only got he only got about halfway through the whole thing last time we talked. There's more to come, folks. Okay, let's move on. Quarantine camp case. Oh, not quarantine camps. It's yeah, sorry for the theme of today's. Um, yeah. I've got but, visions of, you know, signs over the entrance and barracks. and. Uh, yeah, look, it's it's important. One. I just want to put it and pull it into some context. So a few people have got a bit upset about the um, courts paving the way for the New York quarantine camps. And the fact of that decision is, is that the courts – determined that the plaintiffs bringing the action did not have standing to bring the action. So they actually never got to the substance of the uh, the issue. Uh, I've seen it here in Australia with the kids case and um, judicial reviews that we've taken here in Australia um, with regards to the vaccines, uh, But and they've kicked it to touch. So it's Standing is considered um, as an interlocutory matter or as an initial uh, matter. Uh, and this is exactly what's happened in the quarantine case. The plaintiffs allegedly didn't have or were found not to have sufficient enough standing to bring the action. Um, and in those cases, that means that they haven't got a significant enough impact or they're not directly impacted themselves. The court, I think, was being a bit cute by saying that the only person that would have standing would be one that was in a quarantine camp. Okay, you've got to uh, wait for so, it to happen. So, yeah, yeah it's a really interesting um, decision. I do see quite a few of the judges making these decisions uh, by, you know, not applying um, the law properly. Uh, and so we'll get on to that and actually hopefully touch on that next week when we do a bit of a deeper dive into the fluoride and the midwife's case. Um, so this what enables we're talking US obviously Department of Health what can come around to your home and um, remove yeah, look, you and send you off to the what they it, call the quarantine camp is that what it looks like that that's um, maybe one of the powers that is granted to uh, them for the purposes of quarantining people uh, it's uh, not been tested as to the legalities of that. Uh, yet, but it looks like that is something that the um, New York State's been given the power to do. Seems to be an obsession now to quarantine people for anything. 
Yeah, look, it's interesting. Quarantine's been a, a concept for a long time. You know, you think about the sick. Uh, yeah, the sick, but you think about those that travel in um, to port from when we when we when we only travelled by um, yeah. ship and cargo ship. You know, you'd have these quarantine facilities where everyone would get popped. Ellis um, Island. Yeah, Ellis Island, or you know, in Melbourne, we've got a little corner of a. Um, Soames uh, Island. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, we've got a. Oh, that was um, for cattle. Sorry. A, a, we've got a split um, that everyone can go and you know, used to go and stay on and. You just clear to make sure that yep. know, smallpox and all those other things. So quarantining is not a new concept. Uh, it's just that it got given steroids as our um, dear leaders got punched drunk on the concept uh, during uh, COVID, which had an infection uh, fatality rate of 0.0025 percent. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and of only the death uh, of only the elderly. So it's um yeah it's it's not new. Uh, and certainly if you go into port, if you're on your own travel, uh, your own yacht and you've come over and you're, you're arriving into a new country, you have to have your quarantine flag and, up and things up like that. That's so right. there, is, yeah. there is processes. It's not new. It's just that it's almost seems to have been um, uh, not sabotaged. It seems to have been hijacked. Uh, yeah. By as, our a, as a first move go to rather than the last thing you do. Yeah, correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, and we saw that too at the time of um, the hotel quarantine when people couldn't actually come back to the country. Uh, and then that process that got put over it where you could only get uh, a ticket to get into quarantine, uh, you know, so that it didn't look like it was uh, intentional restriction of people and citizens being able yep. to uh, return home, which is their right. Yeah. You now had this ballad of, oh, well, we've got limited spaces. We can only let Unless you're the Wiggles. Oh, I thought it was the 64 DJ. Well, and them. Was all of them? <laughs> yeah, incredible. Uh, they all, I'm an old DJ. Do I qualify? Yeah, from the <laughs> early 1980s, probably. But if not. I remember, if I remember rightly, and and Katie may have a better memory than me on this, but uh, I remember seeing uh, during the the COVID lockdown periods uh, legislation flying around that allowed uh, in this in the case of an emergency, health officials to come into your house, our house, my house, drag us out. Uh, barricade the house up and declare the house to be a you know poison zone or whatever, red and take, take take us all away, red stick it, whatever, take us all away and put it into MIQ. I think that I think that power was was there, um, but uh, again, I just vaguely remember reading about it actually. Yeah, look, I, th I think the power was there, uh, and we definitely saw some people get put into quarantine that hadn't come through the border, uh, and yes, there was there was that. Well, whether or not they legally had the power to even make all of this law in the first place, which I highly doubt, um, uh, and don't think that they did, uh, there was certainly they'd gifted these themselves these powers, which did extend to some rather extreme uh, curtailments of human rights and dignity. Yeah, yeah. You're going to the quarantine camp. Who says the Zumba teacher? <laughs> Anyway, okay. This I think that the Zumba teacher might have had more, um, uh, might have had some much more training than those that were actually dictating these things. Maybe, maybe. M much more qualified. Uh, yeah, certainly in the um, you know the postnatal sort of recovery. <laughs> yeah, just a using tragedy, Zumba isn't it? exercise techniques. I don't know. Okay, um, this is an interesting one. The Supreme Court overturns water bottling consents. And this is what some sort of six-year legal struggle 
What's all this about? Uh, yes, so this is down in the bottom of the South Island uh, somewhere. So the uh, original consents were granted by uh, ECAN, Environment Canterbury, to a couple of companies, uh, Cloud Ocean and uh, Rapaki Natural Resources Limited, um, to um, to repurpose water allocated for industrial purposes uh, to uh, water bo- water bottling, and the repurposing was um, was executed through the uh, amalgamation or joining together of uh, of consents, um, a, a new consent with the existing take taken use consents for the uh, industrial uh, use, which effectively diverted. Uh, the the fresh water without re uh, reintroducing it uh, into the uh, communal uh, pool. So the the consent holders got a bit shifty here with uh, trying to um, take water uh, as I can read between the lines here, you know, consent to have water for one purpose, but then use it for another purpose through the um, uh, transfer of of a different consent. Uh, a, an organisation uh, objected to this. Uh, the original granting of the consent, uh, actually, the, the, that was you know um, the ECAN gave, called uh, Aotearoa Water Action or AWA, and AWA uh, objected both to the granting of the consent and I guess uh, the repurposing. Well, um, the Supreme Court uh, has just recently, in the last few days. Uh, agreed with the Court of Appeals interpretation of the uh, Canterbury Land and Water Plan, which basically um, says that the take and use of groundwater should be considered collectively rather than as uh, as separate uh, entities. And it countered or overturned, I suppose, uh, ECAN's uh, initial approach to the granting of the consents in the first in the first instance. Um, so the the uh, AWA have as I've been fight these consents were granted in in, in late two two seventeen. Uh, the consent owners, Cloud Ocean Water and Rapaki Natural Resources, they were um, given consent to extract up to twenty four million liters of water per day from shallow aquifers uh, beneath day. yeah a day beneath Belfast, and here's a killer without public notification. Um, uh, AWA challenged those consents in December 2017. Uh, the High Court upheld the process of granting them in 2019, but AWA continued. Uh, and finally, uh, today, this or yesterday, the Supreme Court uh, has ruled in AWA's favour and said what uh, the, the consent should never have been granted, but the way in which the consent holders went about the uh, uh, the, the um, repurposing and rechanneling of the water was not in accordance with the consents either. So. Um, it's you know um, it's water is going to be you know one of the um, key battlegrounds I suspect over uh, you know over political and economic um, um, paradigms in the next I think 20 30 40 50 years uh, and uh, it's, it's it's a significant resource which you know AWA says here that um, and this, you know, that they they thought it was significant that water rights. The Supreme Court has basically said that water rights uh, can't be and have not been and should not be treated as as private property. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's um, you know, there's a lot of been a lot of talk around uh, overseas uh, 
you know, companies coming in to New Zealand and um, extracting water and selling it, uh, bottling it and selling it back. So uh, interesting decision here from the Supreme Court. I don't know really what it means um, for um, the, the, the commercial activities involved in, uh, in, in, in you know, um, extracting water out of the ground. That could and curtail production. Uh, I think it'll make it well. I don't know if it'll curtail production because I think what happened here was these, but these these two consent holders here got a bit smart with the original purpose of the consent and they reused it for a different way. So and they thought it was legal according to the consents that they had, but it, by joining them together, but it, obviously it wasn't. Yeah. Um, so look, it, it, it's a line on the sand here, and I guess uh, a message had been sent for anybody uh, in the future who wishes to, um, you know, do things that way that, that you know, the Supreme Court said you can't. I don't know why we don't export huge amounts of water. We do. Or like super tanker loads, I mean. Oh, I think they individually bottle a lot of them here. Okay. Yeah, well, that's horrible for the environment. Yeah. I mean, look, um, I was in, um, you know, when I took a break a few weeks ago, I was in Brisbane for uh, for six days, um, and uh, it hadn't rained in Brisbane for three months. Wow. Okay. Now, uh, the contrast, um, you know, you could you could flick a cigarette butt uh, and driving down the road and the whole place would go up, I reckon, but um, the gum tree certainly on the side of the road would, would be uh, parched. But when I, came, when I came back, the first day I came back from Brisbane, of course, and into Auckland, um, you know, Auckland's weather is typically, as you just pours down every day. And yesterday it rained heavily as well. So um, I came back and thought, why can't we export some of Brisbane's sun to Auckland and take some of our water yeah. and give it to them? Do a swap out. Yeah, do a swap <laughs> out, yeah. Well, mind you, you know, I mean, plainly they're not doing enough geoengineering in Brisbane or Queensland. Well, not, not enough cab trails being, or too many. Maybe too many, rain, yeah. Something like that. Okay. Um, and, oh, I see the provisional consent for the Comanate is mm. now full consent. They've gone all the way now, have they? How could they have done that? Oh, look, I'm I'm really getting to my, my and, head And based it. on what? Look, I'm really getting my head around it uh, at the moment, but uh, we did talk uh, two weeks ago or three weeks ago when I was last with you, Paul, yep. uh, and we were talking about the fact that there was this very bizarre gazetted notice that brought all of the uh, Pfizer products together, including uh, one of the recent, Covid p- pills or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, Antivirals uh, or whatever. under the one heading of uh, one gazette, uh, and simply reiterated a reminder almost that uh, the provisional consent, uh, which had already been extended from the nine months initially to another two years, was going to expire in I think five days' time. And. I just thought to myself, and we talked about it then, that it seemed unusual that they would have done this almost reminder gazette. Interestingly enough, so that reminder gazette, we'll call it, uh, was issued by MedSafe uh, on the 27th of October. The 30th of October, Pfizer gets round to paying its uh, its renewal of its provisional consent for all of those products helpfully listed in the Gazette. So that happened just after our last radio, um, our last time on the radio together. And then we get the situation where all of those uh, items that were listed in that Gazette that pulled them all together, all of a sudden get another two years uh, provisional consent on them with 10 conditions still remaining on all of the 
monovalent and the bivalent products. So that was uh, interesting. Not too surprising. I was surprised given that uh, we have been raising with the uh, MedSafe the contamination issue, right. uh, the DNA contamination issue and the uh, adulteration issue. Not uh, an issue is, for them, obviously. Well, look, there's two uh, there's two things in these products which clearly shouldn't be there that, uh, you know, We've got uh, MedSafe, who is our regulator. It's supposed to be there getting our, keeping us safe, that we pay for to keep us safe. Um, uh, still granting approval when you know some legitimate concerns are being raised. But then this is the this is the cincher, I guess, when I haven't quite uh, properly exhausted uh, my analysis and thinking on, but one the, to be make people aware of. On the fifteenth of November, so. Five day, uh, fifteen days later. Yep. They then grant that's MedSafe grants full approval, not provisional consent, full consent to all of Pfizer's monovalent products. I at a loss. I had thought that they had stopped manufacturing the monovalents in. Uh, that's just the original Wuhan strain and yep. single uh, single strain sort of. Mixture, whatever you want to call it. Control. Yeah, so a, a a a injectable that responds to the original Wuhan strain. Of course, oh, okay. we've probably yeah. had 25 strains since then. The bivalent is the original Wuhan strain and also the Omicron B105, I think. Um, so we've got a situation where Pfizer's original monovalents have received full consent and the bivalent still this um, provisional consent. So I'm not sure why you would grant full approval to something that should no longer be available. And this is for all of the age groups, because remember the different doses. Um, and for something that I had thought was off the market quite some time ago. So, so why would it be that way then? I don't know, Paul. I'm, I'm scratching my head. Um, the time frame is just... Bizarre. Unless you plan on using them again or for longer or for, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of like rolling out uh, sorry, uh, 2009's flu, flu vaccine. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Well, we, or, or approving something that clearly has passed the use-by date. Or granting full approval, so you know, there's, full approval, yeah. there's really a lot of con uh, things that need to be set aside to get full approval, including completing all your clinical trials. Yeah, but that's not the case. No, well, the clinical trials, uh, level three clinical trials, concluded in May of 2023, so this year, and Pfizer's actually got uh, something in their contract which says that they don't actually have to release in writing anything from those clinical trials for another two years. So we're talking May 2025. So, again, a real question about how MedSafe could, and this is Chris James, uh, how there could be this full consent given for the monovalence. Uh, and I, I'm at a loss. Yeah. Um, I mean, there won't be too many options as to why, will there? No, uh, it's unless they they're, consider, they're very few options. unless they consider the deployment of this in in public in the last two years is the data. 
Is, oh yes, are you suggesting is, that the, the 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 last last three years deployment for the last three years is the clinical trial? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still not con- concluded, um, Paul. No, no. Okay, all yeah, right. So something's going trials. on there because because the timing was really tight, if I remember. The um, the extension came through like five or six hours before the deadline. It was yeah. really late on the day. Okay. Yeah, and it then, was. And then only, and that was for two years, but then something happened in the next fortnight. Yeah. And just in respect to the monovalence. Um, it seemed like there was a scramble to get that done. Do you think that had something to do with the um, the state of the government at the time, maybe? Uh, look, we've got the bureaucrats such as Chris James and the like. They're not um, ministers. They're not voted in. They you know, turn up to their job, do their job every day. I... I've, I've now reflected on the uh, provisional consent notice that brought everything together, probably just as a reminder to Pfizer to get to paying their two years. Oh, so it's extension. all about the money? Look, it's... You could say that. You could say that, couldn't you? We've, we've followed the money before and not been wrong. No. Um, you know, maybe it was just a nice, quick way for um, Pfizer to, you know, pay all, you know, find all of the gazettes in one helpfully organised gazette uh, and put their application forward for pro- extension to the provisional consent and one helpful reference to one gazette rather than uh, seven separate gazettes. I don't, I don't know. Maybe is it maybe, maybe a bit of tension more. both ways because I do remember when um, the price for the doses were leaked about two years ago, Christopher Hipkins looked very awkward and was asked about it and he said that he was worried what Pfizer would think of them as if he, as if that really meant something, like, you know, that was that was the downside. It was nothing else. So you know, um, um, Pfizer pays money. Government does this. Pfizer gets what it wants. Yeah, look, and, and it's governments, the behavior- you know, they're not worried that they might not like it. You know, the yeah. Bureaucrats. Well, it does. It does suggest to you, you know, whose whose fiddle are they dancing to? Yeah, uh, and then we're also that. seeing the behaviour. Uh, carry around the world. Uh, we had Australia um, uh, grant full approval to the Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, that was after we, even after we put them on notice about the GMO issue. So and- what was the gap between them doing it and us doing it? Uh, from memory, and it is from memory, it was yep. either August or September that uh, uh, the TGA granted full right. approval okay. uh, to all of Pfizer and Moderna's injectables. Uh, and then ours was another month and a bit thereafter. But, but they've got no data to make that decision on. That's really what what, what it comes down to, isn't it? How could they have data that uh, allows you to to sign it off and everything's fine and, yep, good, good to go? Yeah, look, I, I don't know that uh, you won't get the data, Uh even in the kids' case that we took in New Zealand, there was a refusal by the government to share the uh, thousands and thousands of pages that formed part of their application uh, yeah. considerations for the provisional consent. Provisional consent was that special consent that was brought about to allow things to be uh, uh, given some sort of uh, authority for use in New Zealand uh, without having gone through the full clinical Mm. trials. We know that it hasn't gone through the full clinical trials. We know that there were 58 conditions that were granted to, uh, required by Pfizer to 
um, satisfy uh, with a provisional consent that then got down to 10 uh, conditions in the renewal that was uh, done in November 2021 for the provisional consent. Again, there's been a lot of people that have been asking for that information to determine that this, uh, you know, the papers that Pfizer submitted, again, there's a, a, an embargo on the information being shared. Because otherwise you'd just keep it provisional, wouldn't you? You would. Two years to play around with? You would. And they had two years to make to, they had been granted the provisional consent for another two years and, and on the 2nd of May, 2nd of November 2023. So yeah. why the full consent in November, middle of November 2023? Something's just, up. Something's up. It's, yeah. I mean, if it looks like a pig, it smells like a pig, it's probably a pig. If it flies uh, and, like a pig. Yeah, and there's some, there's definitely something going on. So if anyone's managed to figure it out, I would love to hear from them. Uh, just email radio at Reality Check. Um, Could it have anything and, to do with the this? Because people are saying there's a new wave of it now. And um, we've had reports uh, into our email of people lined up at a pharmacy in Mission Bay in the weekend getting their, their boosters. Do, do, I wonder if there's something in the timing of that too. No, because I think that they're distributing the uh, the bivalence now. Okay, as a booster. The bivalence of the booster, yes, correct. Okay. I don't, I don't even think they're manufacturing monovalence anymore. Okay, but yet they've just had <laughs> clearance for it, like um, unrestricted for something they don't manufacture anymore. Okay, it's making not much sense to me, though I'm not very smart. So, no, look, no surprise. Look, uh, it's not an IQ test. It's one that's going to leave your head scratched. Uh, Too much fluoride. It. <laughs> or follic. Who knows? Yeah, um, both. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Look, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we can take that there much. But if someone's figured it out, please let me know. Because I mean, the, the, but it's not good enough, is it, to have – I mean, listen to us sort of speculating on something that we should – that should be fully transparent, fully out there. Nothing to hide. And here we are, we're trying to second guess. Mm. Well, I am anyway. Okay. Um, I think we're up against time. That's our legal hub for this mm. Wednesday. Any any final words? Any last words, folks? Complete that people's letter. Sign, yep. send, and share. Sign yep. the people's letter. Peoplesletter.co.nz. Thepeoplesletter.co.nz. And yep. then go That's to that and just electronically sign it. I take it. Is that is that what you can do? Yeah. Look, it's even not even a signature. What it does oh, okay. is it allows yep. you to complete your name, um, pop your email, right. and and it just goes over on a counter. Cool. So that is the letter doesn't get thousands of signatures um, yep. attached to it. It just gets this is the people's letter. The the people's letter is actually on the website. You can see it. You can download it. You can see what it says, and then it just says signed off from We the People of New Zealand, uh, and all that is publicly. Vis- vis- able to be seen or visible is simply that counter number. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, we know what to do. So thank you for that. And uh, it was great having both of you back on. It's been a few weeks since we've had, like I say, the old crew back. <laughs> um, but uh, nice to have you back, Katie, and good to see you again, Nick, and we'll do it all again in a week's time here at RCR. Thanks so much, Paul. Thanks, right. Nick. Have a great day. Have Bye. a good morning. Bye-bye. See you. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.